0: This is Trained to Perform, the undisputed alpha podcast in training fitness and sports performance. Here, you'll develop your skills with the cold, hard facts in fitness, sports performance, recovery, and nutrition. Real, tried and true, evidence-based facts that have been proven to move you faster, move you stronger, and move you forward. Now here's your host of Train to Perform, Julian Sissman.
1: Welcome back to the Train to Perform podcast. Uh, today we have Sean Arnt, or Doctor Sean Arnt. Um, he is currently the chair of the exercise science and professor at South Carolina University. Um, he moved he. Recently left Rutgers, um, where he had a successful, uh, sounds like 15 years there, um, with both boys and girls soccer, um, and a ton of uh, amazing research that we discuss in this podcast, um, along with his tenure at uh, the ISSN, which is the International Sports... Society of Sports Nutrition, um, where they do a ton of research on, um, you know, different topics, um, many on uh, supplement usage and how it can um, help improve with performance, not only for athletes, but also just different um, areas of, you know, work or. For instance, policing and military and things like that. So I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. Um, please, uh, at the end, um, please review, please like, share, um, and uh, see you guys on the next one.
2: Hey, Julian. How you doing? Oh, Sean. How you doing? Good, good. How's things? Doing all right there? That's, I'm good. Cool. Sick, sick little backdrop, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. I got to entertain myself. I have so many of these damn calls.
1: Oh, really? Oh man. I'm sorry. I don't,
2: no, 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 you're fine. It's just with faculty meetings and okay. you know everything else I'm dealing with this department chair. It's like, I swear to God, I must be on zoom 10 times a day. So it's just, uh, oh, it gets exhausting, but at least these are fun conversations that we get to have. So that's cool. Yeah, yeah
1: man. So, um, So how how are things going? I mean, I know, uh, you recently moved down to South Carolina, obviously had a conversation with your wife, um, not too long ago. Um, so how are things going down there?
2: I mean, it's fine. It's kind of hard to evaluate, right? I mean, it's like, you know, it's, uh, South Carolina has managed to pull the shit show of the month in terms of, uh, you know, rises in COVID cases, at least Florida's still beating us. So that's always good. Uh, Florida, Texas, and Arizona are the only ones making us not look completely like complete idiots. Um, but honestly, the university right now is still moving ahead to reopen in the fall. Um, we've done phase reopening throughout the summer with faculty and staff and grad students so that we've started research back up. It's slow, but it's at least it's going again. So at least we've got the labs open uh, to some capacity. Um, sports are back on campus. What'll happen is anybody's guess. Mm. Um, I'm actually, uh, you know, one of the NCAA committees I'm on for the the competitive uh, safeguards and medical aspects of sport issues. Like we've been dealing with this and, and we don't know. I mean, it's, you know, I think if you asked me, you know, around like March, April, I'm like, man, it's like 2080 that we have fall sports. And then around like May, um, Probably especially the beginning, middle, and end of May. I'm like, um, we're probably looking at like 80-20. Like, you know, football's back whenever. And then Memorial Day came and went and all hell broke loose. And, you know, I'm back at like the 20-80 that we have this go forward. And I think they're trying to figure out with sort of the in-conference schedules and, you know, just, just play the conference games and stuff. And I think that's a good start but I won't be at all surprised if we don't get to like September sometime and they wind up pulling the plug just because they can't keep anything contained. So, um, you know, we'll see if people are smart enough to actually start wearing a mask and keep some distance if they, if they really want sports back. And I think the thing that's amazed me is the athletes themselves and how irresponsible some of them have been. Um, you know, I remember when I was playing, man, I mean, come college season and stuff like we were there to win a national title. This was not about, um, You know, just going and partying and having fun. So it's just very foreign to me that the players themselves are not like, look, practice home, practice home. That's all we're doing because I want the season to go, you know? And so we've heard stories from other universities of athletes, you know, uh, just doing dumb stuff. And you're kind of like, man, like, don't you want to play? Because that I would be doing. Anything it took to be able to play. Like I just don't understand this. So it, it's it's a bit it's a bit odd to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, especially because especially with football with so much contact. I mean, yeah. other sports it's a little bit uh, it's a little bit different. Especially because you know soccer. There's right. I mean, there's contact, but you know it's you know every once in a while. I mean, um, yeah. I mean it's it's going to be interesting because you, you see all these conferences pulling the plug already. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, a couple more sometime soon. It'll, it'll
3: yeah,
2: you know, and I think it was an interesting move by the Ivy League, right, to just go, look, canceling all fall sports, move to the spring. But I guess it remains to be seen whether that works or not because now you've got two problems. One is if things get worse over the winter, which potentially they could with the arrival of flu season, you know, do we get the second wave, then spring's probably jeopardized. But even if it's not, how what are you going to do about running spring and fall sports like you know now you're talking about resources and facilities and stuff like there there is no easy answer to it It, it's and i get it man nobody wants to be the one that has a student athlete die because they come down with covid they're doing whatever like you don't want to be you don't want to be that person so it's hard um but at the same time you know depending on the precautions that are taken and i think in many ways we're so at the mercy of the surrounding communities in terms of what they're willing to do as well. Um, you know, cause we can't keep these athletes in a bubble. So I think, you know, in many ways it's a, it's a ton of education, right? It's helping people understand why we need to take these steps, but it's also an issue of enforcement. Like what are the consequences if you don't adhere to the policies that these universities are setting forward and stuff like that? So, you know, we'll see, hopefully it moves forward smartly. Um, you know, I know just from the standpoint of an athlete, like, some of them are probably scared, right? It's like, what if I get sick? What you know, what'll happen? But at the same time, some really want to play, yeah. you know, and that's that's really where they want to go. So, it's it's there's there's no easy answer to it, and I think that's why the challenge is. But the problem is, uh, there's some very easy solutions to make our likelihood better that people just aren't doing, yeah. you know. And I think that's where it gets frustrating.
1: Yeah, I mean, I um, I, just, I well, I'm a half Turkish, so I have some family that's in Turkey, and they they, they basically are like mask on all the time. Uh, and if you don't have one, like, I think it's like 150 or $200 fine if they catch you with no mask. Right. And it's like, yo, they could be making money off of this right now. The
2: government, <laughs> exactly. the economy. Exactly. exactly. We're all dumbasses that won't wear a mask. So, <laughs> well, and it's, it's funny, right? Cause then people are like, Oh, it's an infringement of my freedom and this, and that I'm like, you have to wear a seatbelt. If you don't wear a seatbelt, you get a fine, you get a ticket right? Same idea. You know, restaurants can choose not to serve you if you're not wearing shoes or a shirt and whatever. So it's just weird where people draw that line. And to me, it just says you're selfish, right? Because people are like, oh, it's it's their way of, you know, making us sheep and, and all this stuff. And I'm like, it's a mask. You remember Halloween when we actually choose to wear them? Like just consider it every day of the year right now. That's all it is. It's Halloween every day. You get to wear a mask every day. Like it's not that complicated. So,
3: um,
2: and like, it's just, it's like I said, it's just weird. And especially if people really want to keep businesses open and stuff like that, to me, that's a small ask. Like wear a mask, keep distance. Oh, Hey, look, we don't shut down.
1: Yeah.
2: Okay. Like that sounds great to me.
3: Let's yeah, get through this.
1: I look at California; like they just shut yeah. down pretty much again. <laughs> yep. So, um, yeah, I mean, and uh, it's funny that you say that about uh, another thing about sports is USL. They're actually allowing people in games like, yeah. like USL soccer, and everyone's wearing a mask. Yeah, but you can see it's like they're spread out in the
2: stadium. It's it's pretty interesting, but I mean, right, it works. Well, and, you know, and that's the thing is if, <clears throat> and, and I, I honestly, I hate that concept of the new normal, right? Well, this is the new normal. No, man, there's nothing normal about it. Like, let's not treat this as the new normal. Let's actually adopt the relevant behaviors so that we can get back to normal right? Yeah. Because that's the only way this is going to happen. And I think for, you know, the athletes and stuff like that, I, I want sports back. I mean, I, I, you know, I miss it, you know, and it's, uh, you know, and it's definitely made a hit for us on the research side. It's slowed so many things down and, you know, we're looking forward to getting back to that. But, um, yeah, it, it's, I don't know, it, it's a strange time. And I, I swear to you, I just saw today that they found a squirrel in Colorado that had bubonic plague. And I'm just like, dude, 2020 is upping the ante. It's like July basically went, hold my beer, right? Like I'm yeah. like, you gotta be kidding me right now. So yeah, yeah right. who knows?
1: Yeah. So, um, I mean, I guess kinda start back in the beginning yeah. a bit. Uh kind of fill me in on like where you kind of started, background sure. on, like sport wise, uh, you know, what kind of got you into what you're doing? Cause I know you kind of dabble with a lot of things. I know you're you know, chair at this university, yeah. your ISN, ISSN president. So that's all nutrition. So yeah. So. How'd I get
2: here? Yeah. So, uh, it's the million dollar question. It's, um, to be honest, it's funny. Once I've gotten to this point, it actually became, uh, you know, I look back on it now and it was a no brainer, right. In terms of how things have shaped up and what I wanted to do. So growing up, I mean, I started playing soccer when I was four and a half, um, started in a league, you know, we lived in California. So my dad was in the Marine Corps. So until I was 17, we moved around every couple of years. Right. And so my dad was actually my first soccer coach. Um, but anyway, he was super, he's a super athletic guy and all this stuff. So my brother and I both played growing up, um, you know, for me it was, you know, uh, soccer first and foremost, it was wrestling. It was football. It was hell even basketball for all, which at like five, seven is amazing for most people. They're like, how'd you play basketball? I'm like, not very well. Um, hence I didn't stick with it, but wrestling seemed to fit a lot better. Um, but for me, soccer is really what carried me through, um, and, and sort of got me the most recognition and then sort of moving on to college to play and stuff like that.
1: Did you play? Um,
2: UVA. No way. Um, yeah, so... You pl- who, who was there when you played? So it was 91 to 94. So it was the four national titles in a row, the 91 to 94. Okay. So it was, okay, okay. like, you know, it was uh, Richie Williams was still there, Claudio Reyna, Bruce Arena was the coach, uh, yeah. Tom Henske and Jeff Causey in goal. Those guys are amazing. Um, yeah, so made so friends, all those guys.
1: So you're what? You've got to be, like, mid-40s. 46, yeah. Okay, because my uncle was at Maryland around
2: that time, like, 99. Okay. You, yep, Maryland playing. Oh, cool, because Sasha was already coaching there in '92, wasn't he? He was, yeah, that's right, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's funny, cool, yeah. So, but anyway, um, so that treated me really well, right? And, and anyway, so when I finished playing, um, I stayed on as an assistant strength conditioning coach at UVA and it really perked my passion. But it was funny when I went to school, my original thought is I wanted to go into orthopedic surgery, I was, I wanted to be a doctor, and then uh, you know, kind of went through, took organic chemistry and I was like, I don't want to do this. Right. And so I was like, what else can I do? So I was a psych, I was a psych major at the time. And it was funny because a couple of the professors that were working with our team that would come and talk to us or whatever. And then a couple of the classes I took in like sports psychology, um, uh, exercise physiology. I'm like, Oh my God, like this would be perfect. Like, how do I stay involved in sport? Like, this is so cool. So anyway, I started researching graduate programs. And the top ranked program at the time was Arizona State. And Mm -hmm. so anyway, so I started looking at that and they had some phenomenal faculty there. And so my original interest was really more sports psychology. Headed off to uh, Arizona State, um, did my master's really emphasizing sports psych, but I quickly realized that where I really had my passion was in ex-phys. All right. So exercise physiology, especially exercise endocrinology. Um, Wound up finishing up my PhD at Arizona State. uh, And first job I got out of there was at Rutgers. So I headed to Rutgers in 2002, uh, and I was at Rutgers until this past year. So 17 years at Rutgers. um, We formed a graduate program while I was there in kinesiology and applied physiology. Uh, I was fortunate to have some amazing graduate students, work with some great colleagues and stuff. And then we started the Rutgers Center for Health and Human Performance. And that was a a big deal because it really sort of solidified some things. But backing up, when I was in grad school, I wound up getting back involved with U.S. soccer. Um, To be honest, when I was done playing, I was was fried. Like, I was just kind of burnt out. Like, it just – it just had no real interest in it. And then about two years into grad school, I'm like, God, man, I miss it. Like I'm, I'm really starting to get that itch again. And so a group of us started playing on like a co-ed team, right? Like we, we just like, it was, it was hilarious because all of us had played like in college. So it just destroyed the co-ed league. Yeah. It was ridiculous. It was, it was fun though. Like great group of people. And, um, but anyway, one of my professors at the time, uh, was working with the national staff for us soccer Got me involved, and I wound up being on the national staff for US soccer for about 16 years. Um, so, working with the Olympic development programs, doing all the coaching education, A, B, and C licenses, and things like that. So, um, that was a phenomenal opportunity, and I got to know some amazing people through that, and a lot of the people that are still with the national staff and stuff like that. So, that was sort of a nice way to come full circle. So, anyway, I got to Rutgers and around so got there in 2002, and that year, um, Bob Riasso was still coaching there and Bob reaches out and he's like, Hey, you know, is there anybody, he actually called our department chair. Is there anybody that does stuff with like heart rate monitors? So our chair was like, actually, we, we just got a soccer guy here. Like, you know, I'll, I'll send him over to talk to you. So Bob and I wound up hitting it off. I started working with the men's team, uh, that first year I was there really, um, and worked with them for a long time, including once, uh, Dan Donegan came in once he had replaced Bob. And, um, but in the middle of all that, uh, probably about eight years ago. Um, Glenn Crooks was coaching the women's team, and I had mostly worked with the men's programs up to this point. So didn't done some on the women's side or on the girls' side with the younger programs, but the um, Glenn came to me, and they were having a problem with injuries, and they had about five times the national average for ACL injuries. And so, anyway, it was one of those things where they'd always been they'd always been a reasonably good team, right? The Carly Lloyd had come through there; they would had some good players, but. They'd never sort of maximized success, and there'd been a couple of years that they'd missed NCAAs at this point. So we looking well, if you can't keep your players on the field, it's going to be hard mm-hmm. to make it. So we sat down and you know really had a legitimate conversation about um, – what, what do you need to do? What are you doing? What do we need to do? And we quickly realized there was some low hanging fruit. They, they really didn't have uh, a solid strength conditioning program in place. There really was no periodization and there was no monitoring of the athletes, right? So there was kind of like inconsistent testing and stuff like that. And, and I don't fault the coaches for that. They were going off of what, what they had always done, right? And, and that's, I, you know, I should preface this by saying it's one of the things I love about soccer is the tradition, but one of the things I absolutely hate about soccer is the tradition, right? Because you very much get, it, well, we've always done it this way. Yeah. And so anyway, to their credit, um, you know, Glenn and his staff, including Mike O'Neill at the time, who later became the head coach. And Mike is just one of the most phenomenal individuals I've ever known. I love the guy to death. But anyway, you know, there was some resistance at first. And ultimately, it's like, look, we, we got to do something. So we just, we took that low hanging fruit. In the first year, we reduced injuries by 70%. They made NCAAs for the first time in a couple of years. They have made NCAA's every year since. They've actually got one of the longest running uh, tracks in there right now. Few about four or five years into that whole run, we made the Final Four for the first time in the program history. And what was amazing is in the last four years—no, I'm sorry—in the last five years that we worked with the program before we left for South Carolina, we had one season-ending injury in five years. And, and that was huge because as we realized, like there were some great players there, don't get me wrong, but we didn't necessarily have the, 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 the same kind of lineup or recruiting that like a UVA or a Florida state or a UNC would necessarily have. So we just had less room for error. Um, but what was critical is that the coaches and the players all bought in. Right. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't that there was anything magical we were doing. We were using science. Right. So there was nothing, you know, magic about it at all. We were just applying a solid monitoring protocol. We, we implemented biomarker monitoring. We, we implemented a nutritional program. Strength and conditioning was a consistency for us. And the girls really bought in and really excelled, right? And so that was a lot of fun. So, you know, fast forward, um, I got the offer here at the University of South Carolina. And it honestly, it, as much as we loved working with the team at Rutgers, it was time to do something a bit different um, from a research standpoint and a university standpoint. So we wound up here. And it was, it, admittedly, it was a no-brainer because the exercise science program here at, at South Carolina is the top-ranked program in the nation, uh, and we're one of the top 10 in the world. So the opportunity to come down as chair um, was was amazing, right? Phenomenal faculty, phenomenal students. It was a funny, funny story. Um, and I thank Michelle for this. So Michelle actually did her undergraduate here at South Carolina. Hey, told me that. Yeah, so it was funny because this position came out and I actually wasn't going to apply because I'm like, dude, there's gonna be that's a that's a big job. Like that's gonna be there's gonna be some really that that's amazing, right? So um I sent this text to Michelle and I all I said was, hey, South Carolina opened up the chair position. (laughs) So all I get is a text back that said, You are applying. (laughs) There was no question mark. There was no anything. She goes, You're sending your shit in. Okay. So anyway, so we did. And next thing you know, we're down here. So, um, it's, it's been a hard year to judge because of COVID and everything, but I will say that seeing all the struggles and, and the challenges we have, um, there's no place I'd rather be, uh, because watching how the Dean of our school, we're in public health here, watching how he's handled things, watching how the universities handle things, watching how my faculty have handled things. I can see why it's a top ranked program, you know? And so in many ways they've made it easy for me, um, despite all the other challenges, um, they've been, they've been incredible. You know, we have a great relationship with athletics here already just in the first year, the strength and conditioning staff here is probably the best I've ever been around. Um, they're, they're just top to bottom. There's some first rate people first and foremost, but certainly as coaches, they're, they're great. But, um, you know, and we just finished uh, outfitting our lab. So the the new university of South Carolina sports science lab is up and running and, and functional. So that's been pretty cool. Um, So, yeah, that's sort of the the long-winded way of saying how I got to here and and the the players and the teams. For a while, I was actually working in the NHL with the New Jersey Devils as their head exercise physiologist. I worked with the Texas Rangers as their director of sports science. Um, And so... I've always kept an applied aspect to what I do, but the research drives a lot of that. Yeah, but I think it's important for me to have a foot on the applied side because it's really truly bridging the gap, right? How do you know what good scientific questions to ask if you don't know what's going on in the field at the same time?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, 100%. So when you were at Rutgers, uh, yep. were you were you helping... Well, you said you were helping both the guys first, right? you just totally transitioned out of working with the guys, or was it like you were helping both at
2: one So point? it was interesting. We had... We were helping both at one point, absolutely. And we really kind of continued up until the end. There was a lot of resistance in Rutgers athletics to involving us. You know, we were we were fighting an uphill battle in many cases with them really making it difficult for us to work with the teams despite what the teams wanted. Um, and, you know, kind of back to Mike O'Neill and what I was saying about him is he fought hard for what he thought was in the best interest of his program. You know, and he made a good good – rationale and argument for why that was the case. So we continued working with them right up until the end. Um, actually Michelle was even their strength and conditioning coach and sport nutritionist because he went outside of what they were doing to say, we need the best of the best. If we want to be a marquee program and realize that, um, they, at the time we left, they were the only winning program in the big 10 at, in that whole school. So they're the only team with a winning record since we joined the big 10. Um, and I'm not saying it's because of us, like, no, no, like, don't get me wrong. That has, that's not what I'm saying. It's because of the whole thing that he had put together to make the team succeed. That's all it was. It was nothing about, Oh, Hey, it's because of the sports scientists working with him. No, you needed the players. You needed the coaches. You needed the sports science staff, the athletic training, like all of that went hand in hand. He just, you know, to Mike's credit, he found the formula to put the right pieces together and to his credit, the, the singular best thing he did that I think is so critical when you're working with a coaching staff and the team is he let the experts do their job, right? So, you know, and I think that we deal with this in sports science a lot is people will get frustrated that a coach doesn't understand something or you have to, you know, kind of explain it so many times. I have no problem with that because most of them were not trained in exercise science. It's not their fault, mm-hmm. you know? And so I look at it this way is, if I, if I'm not explaining it well enough for you to understand that I need to explain it better, that's on me. Right. And we would have those conversations and there were years early on where it felt like a constant battle. And then I realized it's not though. I just need to explain this better. So they understand where we're coming from. And by the end, the relationship we had with Mike and his whole coaching staff with Meg and Lubosh and Trish, like it was easy because everybody valued every step of the process. And it was because we took the time for everybody to understand it. They didn't all have to know how to do it. They just knew that it needed to be done, right? And so I think that, and it does help. It does help in in my sense that I understand the game, Mm -hmm. right? I've played, I get it, but you don't necessarily have to be a soccer person or a basketball person or a field hockey person to, to be able to do a good job as a sports scientist, but you have to understand sport. Mm-hmm. You have to understand athletes mm-hmm. and you definitely have to be willing to listen. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that um you know one of the things that I tell a lot of people when they want to go into this field is I said never never walk into a team or a coach or whatever and tell them what you can do for them. The single best thing you can do is walk in and say what do you need?
3: Mm-hmm. Because
2: you, I could probably fire off a laundry list of all the stuff we could do. Yeah, right. Doesn't mean that it fits what they need, and so it it helps you get to the heart of where they see their limitations, and then you can help educate them on say, hey, that that's actually those are great points. Here's some other things I see that might be impacting that as well, right? But until you ask them what they want, you have no business telling them what they need, right? Because you haven't heard that conversation yet.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I I agree with you, and it. And that's the, that's the struggle with a lot of, um, I think like, for instance, I'm in the private sector and, like, and you deal with like you youth coaches and you're trying to, you know, you, they're so like, they get so you, like you said earlier with the old school, like mentality, right. like we've been doing it this way. Right. Like we have this success, we've had this success, but it's like, okay. You've had this success, but you haven't like won the championship. So like you're out there obviously something you need to mm-hmm. like get you there. Um <clears throat> and, and again, many of the coaches are just either they don't want to listen or they're just like too stubborn to like let somebody else have a, a small amount of control. Right. Um I mean, like, for instance, like I'm supposed to be coaching high school soccer this fall and what? like the JV coach and the other guy is the most stubborn varsity coach ever. Um, yeah. and he, he won't, he, he like, like <clears throat> I'll tell him, Hey, I think, you know, I've watched cause it's my old high school. So I've watched okay. that in the past like 10, you know, eight years. Yeah, I'm like, in my head, I'm like, yo, you've been doing the same thing every single year. Like you got to do something different, man. Like if you're going to keep doing the same thing over and over again, like and you're still not making it and you, and you had the worst season you've ever had last year. Like, yo, you need to, you need to do something totally different. Um, and I, I totally agree with you. It's, it's, it's so hard, um, to really like penetrate some of these coaches heads and like, just allow somebody like, you know, a strength coach like me or you or somebody else to provide them with the right, information. And this is right. this is one of the reasons why I brought the sig back is because I'm just, we're just trying to pump information out for these coaches to be like, Oh, that's great. I can use this. Maybe I can use this, but like, how am I going to use it? So we try to like explain to them a little bit. Um, and I, and I try to do that to like coaches around here. And I try to like, I don't, I'm not telling them like, I want to do it for them. I'd rather them to be like, rather them to learn it they don't want me to pay, they don't want to pay me to do it. Okay, great, but at least they know like you know, let's not do a two lap warm up. Like come on now. Like that's old school warm up. Yeah. Like it's not going to get you anywhere. Um you know, it's just there's so many things that um you know, I try to you know, get these coaches to understand like there's so many coaches around here that still do track workouts. Mm-hmm. Like literally, like two hundreds, four hundreds, eight. I'm like, yo, we're not that. You don't even run that that much in one time in a soccer game. <laughs> and most of these coaches played. I'm like, what? Um, so yeah, it's 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 just interesting, and it, and it's good that you know that colleges are starting to like really adapt the strength and conditioning programs, and really adapt the heart rate monitoring, all those monitoring stuff. Because I think, you know, providing that data to them to get them to like really see something out of it um, kind of makes them like think all right, maybe this could be useful. Maybe this could, you know, especially the recovery, because I just don't you have a ch- crazy short schedule and so many injuries. And I'm yeah. sure you guys figure something out because you had one injury in five <laughs> years. So.
2: Yeah, it was, um, you know, and I'll say. it's interesting because I think one of the things to do with some of these coaches is if there's certain things they really like to do or they feel strongly about, you find a way to include that in your overall plans. In other words, it's like, so like, let's say the track workouts, right? You're like, Hey, you know what? Actually there's time and a place for that. So certainly with some of our off season conditioning and stuff, we can use that instead of just doing normal long distance work. Let's incorporate some of that, but let's do that one day. And then another day, let's focus on this, right? So in other words, they feel like they're getting a win-win. We're like, oh, okay, I could see it from that standpoint. So they never feel like you're telling them, no, you're an idiot, you're wrong, why are you doing this? Because you could probably take what their core idea is and turn it into something that is useful to the kids, right? And are like, okay, yeah, I can work with you on that. I think the other thing, too, is you bring up an interesting point with the data. And I think we're in a, an interesting uh, time when it comes to data because- uh, I think there's a lot of people that get data diarrhea, right? Where it's just like collect, 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 collect. And it's like numbers, right? Ooh, numbers. Well, data are just that. They're just numbers. It's really your interpretation and your application of them that provide the wisdom and the knowledge
3: mm-hmm.
2: that will go along with this. And you're right. You know, I think it's funny. I see a lot of like pro teams and stuff like that that are looking for sports scientists. And then you read the description and what they're looking for. I'm like, no, you're looking for a data analyst. You're not looking for a sports scientist because you can't just do, I think where we had our most success and I think where the value comes in is without context, numbers don't tell you a whole lot right? And so the context and knowing your athletes and knowing what the season is. And so, you know, I think we get so caught up in this recovery thing that we run the risk of under training athletes too. We're like, Oh, they're too much, too much. But you know, there's this idea of building up a tolerance and a capability. And I think when you do that, you can help a coach understand, Hey, like, we're just going to control this, right? Like, so in other words, it's, it's there's a plan to what our average load is. And I think one of the things that helps too is getting, um, getting some wins in data interpretation. I'll give you a couple examples of things that happened to us that kind of pushed, pushed us forward. Uh, early on, working with the women's team, we had a stretch. Actually, let me back up one, men's team. So we were working with just the, the risk basis before like the team systems came out where, you know, everybody had the strap and stuff. So each player had their own individual unit. And we noticed with one of the guys, uh, his senior year, he had come back probably the most fit he had ever come back, right? We had had problems in the past with him kind of taking half the season to be where he needed to be. And then he breaks down. So anyway, his final year comes in and he came out on fire. And then partway through, um, you really started noticing plateau. So, you know, Bob, the coach at the time was like, you know, here we go again. He's being lazy on the field. And, you know, it, it you know, showed up again. And so I'm like, man, I don't know. I don't know that that's what's going on. So we download all his heart rate data. We take a look and we, we quickly realize that he's chasing the game. So what's happening is he's just running. So normally in a heart rate graph for a soccer game, you should see ups and downs, right? Like peaks and valleys recovery. His is just like up here, right? So what's happening is he's exhausted. So he's got no explosion, no sprints. And so we're like, man, he can't, he can't peak it and recover. So we got an issue there. So we basically talked about it as a staff and said, what do we do?" And It's like, okay, you know what? Let's give him like three, four days rest. You know, like he's just shot. And so rather than it being that he was lazy and wasn't trying, it was literally, he couldn't, he couldn't get up to that, motiv- that, that level. Um, give him three, four days rest. He goes out that weekend, and scores two goals. <laughs> right. And you're like, okay, that's a win. So then on the women's side, we had a player that um, they thought was kind of loafing again because like, oh, her points aren't as high as everybody else's. I'm like, whoa, whoa, hold on a minute though. So let's look at this. And so we look at her actual heart rate data and you go, no, no, no. She literally recovers twice as fast as everybody else. So her heart rate goes up to the same level as everybody else, but she's so ridiculously fit that her heart rate's back down to you know 60% of its max in half the time it's taking everybody else. So her total points don't accumulate the same way. She's fine. She's just super fit. Okay, that was good, right? Then we had a stretch where we had – we'd always planned this um, going into the season. We were going to have a period of time towards the end of the year where we were away at Marquette and Notre Dame, all right? And these were going to be two very, very key games for us because they were right towards the end of the year, and we'd know we'd probably be battling with Notre Dame for a position uh, in, in the Big East tournament this time. This is when we were still playing Big East. <laughs> so anyway. Um, We had the week leading up to that, the plan had always been, we're going to take an extra off day, right? We're going to take an extra off day. We're going to taper a little bit because we really need to go in fresh for these games. So um, the thought process was, you know, the coaches like, because we were playing really well and Notre Dame was number four at the time. And so there was an argument amongst the staff, like, no, look, we've got more we need to work on. We're not ready for these guys. And it was, so we kind of had this back and forth. I'm like, no, we really need the recovery. Here's the rationale behind it. So to Glenn's credit, he sat back and he said, you know what, we've done everything according to plan and sort of what Sean and his group have talked about. Let's adhere to this. It's worked so far. Let's see how this goes. We go in, we take Marquette to overtime and wound up winning, took Notre Dame to double overtime and tied him in Notre Dame, right? So the comment after was, how many more off days do we need to take, right? Because it was there's a belief factor where it's like, okay, now I see what you mean. Like we were able to control that game. And even in the final four year, we had implemented biomarker use and about halfway through the season- that. What's that? what that means? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, so my background in endocrinology is looking at hormones and, and other indicators of metabolic stress and stuff like that. So we actually had a research uh, agreement with Quest Diagnostics, and okay. we had helped them with their Blueprint for Athletes panel and stuff. So we were actually doing research with the women's soccer team um, and, and the men as well and looking at uh, physiological changes throughout a season. So we're able to provide feedback on these things. And so we're looking at markers of stress, like, you know, cortisol, inflammation, like IL-6. We looked at changes in iron. Uh, we looked at changes in other nutritional factors, you know, magnesium, B12, things like that. Um, you know, we're looking at, at markers of immune function, all these things, growth hormone, uh, IGF-1, you know, markers, uh, estradiol, estrogen, you know, markers of, of hormone disruption and stuff like that. And in the men, we are looking at testosterone as well. Mm -hmm. So anyway, about halfway through the year, you know, I sat down with Mike, um, and I said, okay, so here's where we're trending. Like preseason beat the crap out of us. Right. And that's one of the things I hate about college soccer. Uh, preseason is barbaric, but anyway, um, here's where we're looking. So I basically have two options on the table for you. Would you rather win, um, the conference title or would you rather win a national title? And I was like, I don't think we're going to be geared to do both based on where we're at right now. So he thought about it. and He goes, national title. He goes, we got to make a run for this. We've got the team this year. So basically what we did is we adopted a different training strategy. So we wound up kind of training through the conference championships so that we could taper for NCAAs because of where we knew we were from a recovery standpoint. So we wound up taking second at the conference championships. Um, but we wound up taking UVA. And the, the important part of the story is in the previous two years, UVA had beat us. Six one and five nothing in the second round of NCAAs both times. Okay. In the third year of playing them, modifying our training load, modifying our biomarker interpretation, we beat them in penalty kicks at Virginia wow. to advance to the final four. So that was the Elite Eight game. And the girls fought their butts off, right? I mean, they looked good. And they just they outlasted them. That's all it was. UVA, skill-wise and things like that, they had every right to move forward, but we we battled. And so it was a story of like, we just knew when we needed to peak, you know, because of what we're able to track. And I think when you see that and that level of belief comes in and the players see they're not getting hurt or they're recovering and they feel better, you know, all of that lends itself. So I think as a sports scientist, you need to be able to provide information that's actionable. Mm -hmm. You know, what can I do with this and how can it impact my training and my play and all these other factors? And I think when you do that well and you don't get caught up in every new little fad or trend, I would often say, you know, pick three or four things and get really good at them. Yeah. You know, heart rate, GPS, biomarkers, whatever it is, whatever combination works for you. Get really good at using those three or four tools. Then you can play with some other stuff.
1: Yeah. I mean, but. For you, those were, you found those to be the most effective right? for, for what you guys were doing.
2: Yes. Yeah, for what we were doing. It's interesting. And again, it's based on our skill set too, though, because of what, not everybody's going to have that knowledge background to know what to do with a biomarker, right? Yeah. And so, so some of it is developing a skill set, but that's why I said, do, find three or four things that you're good at yeah. that you can make a difference with. And, and, and again, not everybody's going to have that, that background and that's what distinguishes different people from being able to do different things, right? Like I understand biomechanics, but I'm not a biomechanist. So from a movement mechanic standpoint, I understand the fundamentals and we can adjust sprint technique and squat technique and all those other things. But, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not a biomechanist, but I am a physiologist. And so I can rely on that physiology to help guide the decisions that we're making as much as anything else.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. I feel like, uh, honestly, you and your wife, Michelle, are the only two that I have had conversations with that talk about the biomarker sort of yeah. like using that to influence training. Like, I mean, I feel like everyone is all like GPS, heart rate, like let's periodize the week. Like, but like no one ever really talks about like the intern, like what's going on internally, which to me like influences everything because it's like, you know, are they getting enough like certain vitamins, minerals, like food? Exactly. Like all that stuff makes a huge difference, especially with the recovery. Um, yeah, I mean, I, granted, like you can get as fit as you want, like it it's all good, but like, you know, if you don't feed yourself well, um and the right We're stuff we are asking for trouble. No, I mean exactly. So here's where we hit on this too. Uh, this is why I became go ahead, yeah, yeah. Your quick question, you can answer this along with what you're yeah. How much do the biomarkers influence nutrition?
2: Um, the answer to that is uh, quite a bit in some cases. As a matter of fact, we had, we had one player, this is funny. So we noticed her iron was just dropping ridiculously fast in season. We're like, what is going on? And so we're having a conversation with her one day, this is maybe a month and a half in, and we're like, man, what? I don't understand what's going on here. Like, what, you know, And and so she kind of offhandedly makes this comment. She goes, yeah. She goes, I've definitely felt more tired since I decided to become vegan right before the season started. And we went, wait, hold on. That's important information. And so, you know, got her started on an iron supplement and stuff like that. But you're like, okay, that was a good conversation. Um, But what I was going to say is, what was interesting for me is the teams were getting, both the men and the women, were getting really, really good at managing training load. But training load is just that load in training you got 22 other hours in the day exactly. so we're sitting there and we're like okay why do we still have some players that aren't performing the way we think they should or why are they still tired and you realize you're like man this is a snapshot now not that it's not important and it is but we need load and especially when you're working with like a college athlete they've got classes and they've got exams and they've got social relationships and living situations and all stuff like stress is stress Yes. Right. So when we started looking at that, especially with cortisol, that was really telling for us throughout the year in terms of where you could see this accumulated effect. But it was interesting because it was the first time that we were really fully able to capture how ridiculously demanding that preseason is because you get your training load. and We knew training load was insane. And we, you know, had done things to back off from that. But then when you start to see what the physiological impact is, that's key. And so um, it's funny because if I were to put things sort of in the order that I would measure them or of importance, first one is is assessment. In other words, like, you know, fitness assessments. We need to know where a player's at and what their changes are. Second one is heart rate monitoring. Third is GPS. GPS never comes before heart rate monitoring for me because you can talk about distance and sprints all you want. But if you don't know what the impact is on the athlete, it's just a metric. Mm -hmm. Then comes the biomarkers. And the only reason I put biomarkers behind GPS is it's more expensive and more invasive to measure, not because it's less important, right? So, but you put those things together and now you've got a pretty solid assessment plan in place to know what your athletes are doing. And, you know, from a, from a testing standpoint, you know, we pick the things that we think are the most important for the performance in the sport. And at the same time have time to do, right? Where it doesn't take too much time out of the training. But one of the critical aspects to being able to convince a coach of is that the time spent testing is worth it because it will save you time in the long run because you have a more effective practice, because you are better at game management and all these other things. So it's it's well worth the investment from that standpoint, I think, in order to do that. But but I think the biomarkers were one of the first places where, because here's the thing, anybody that's worked with athletes long enough knows they lie right? So you can do dietary logs and you can do all this stuff, but they're not going to, half of them don't remember what they ate. Half of them tell you what they think you want to know. So the nice thing about the biomarkers is it gave us an objective way of assessing what was going on. And certainly a lot of it was the nutritional stuff, omega-3s and 6s, iron, you know, like I said, magnesium, you know, various factors that tie into that. And then, and then also seeing how the system's responding. And then the other part is, What I thought was great about those metrics is at the end of the day, it never replaces the conversation with the athlete. Mm -hmm. And so, but what happens is when you have their numbers, the conversation gets way more meaningful Mm -hmm. because it starts, it gives you better questions to ask them in yeah. terms of hey what's going on here and and what are you eating and you know and and like well cuz here's what i'm seeing and like oh yeah i hadn't thought about that and so i think that's really useful and then the other part of it that's very useful is to be able to communicate with the coaches because at the end of the day the one thing that's often out of the athlete's control is the training aspect mm-hmm. so if you need to intervene at the training load level the coaches really have to be able to buy into that and as well they're important in the conduit for nutrition because they can at least help provide and educate around their training time. And then we need to educate the athletes for what to do the rest of the day and try to help them out with that as best we can.
1: Were you able to do live like load or was it just You just trained and then you saw the load after. No, we
2: did. We did all live load. We use the polar system. That's one of the things I love about it is their telemetry system. Um, So being able to get that live load and actually, so my postdoc now, she was one of my doctoral students at the time, Bridget McFadden, phenomenal sports scientist. Um, She actually was with the girls every day in training and games. And so it was all data collection for her dissertation. Uh, but she basically was able to monitor on field and give a heads up. in when we needed to, to pull some of the athletes who could go a little bit harder, where we needed to trade some things, we had a player, really interesting story. So we had a player who Bridget picked up on some really abnormal heart rate responses during training. And the player would come off and be like, I am exhausted. What's going on? We're like, man, your heart rate's not climbing though. We don't understand what's happening here, but it wouldn't recover either. So we start digging deeper and everybody's thinking, you know, oh, they send her for cardiac testing. They do all this stuff. Everything's coming back negative. Turns out in having a conversation that she had gone on a birth control implant, right? Which impacts hormones. Mm -hmm. Turns out that's what was causing all this. So they have it removed. Heart rate goes back to normal. Her endurance comes back up. All of a sudden, we see this happen again. Turns out she went on an oral contraceptive. So the hormones are messing with her ability. This actually is not an uncommon effect, but most doctors don't even recognize what oral contraceptives can do to heart rhythms in some cases, right? It's a rarity, but it it can happen. But again, if it wasn't for the load monitoring, we wouldn't have known that. It's crazy. Right. And so, But it helped, and this player actually went on to be a national team player. So, you know, you look at that, she's playing professionally now. And, um, but again, you catch these things and you find a way to intervene and that's why it's actionable insight, right? Like it has to be something that gives you data that you can use to make adjustments, meaningful adjustments. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's, that's, that's crazy. Like, like one random, I mean, it's not random because you know, a lot of girls do, a lot of girls probably at that age are on something like that. Oh, that's pretty interesting.
2: Hmm. Yeah. So that's why I said there's some cool stories to come out of it in terms of things that we saw beyond just the science, beyond the data beyond the publications that we've gotten, there were some very interesting individual effects, right? Where you could see success and, um, maximizing potential and stuff like that. And I, I think that's kind of like, I'd like to think if I'm in the business of anything, it's optimizing, right? Like how do we optimize performance as best we can? And you hear a lot of talk now, about you know minim- minimal effective dose. What's the least we can do to get an effect? And you know that's fine, but if you're working with an athlete, minimal is not going to get you very far. But I would say where minimal effective dose becomes important is if you also know maximal tolerable dose. What's the most I can do before they break? Yeah. And what's the least I can do to produce a change? Your sweet spot is somewhere in here, so you know how to push that gray area near the top to maximize them when you need to.
1: Were your preseasons majority one session a day or were you guys two
2: sessions? Early on, it was two. To Mike and his staff's credit, it became closer to one with a few exceptions here and there. But it was interesting. One of the things (laughs) – so you figure it's uh, roughly a 14-day preseason, right? So that's kind of how it breaks out. You got your mandatory off days. So what was interesting is because we have training load – and especially from previous seasons you know what a game load is right yeah. so we know what our typical point total is calorie expenditure and so we did the math one preseason and we're like wow this was the equivalent of playing 11 games in 14 days that's what the training is the next year having those data in place and the coaches could look at this and say cuz you you go hey would you ever want to play 11 games in 14 days god no well we just did like that's that's basically where we're at with this the following year Um, we wound up playing, I think, the equivalent of six games in 14 days. Still not great, but way more manageable. And again, sustained that throughout the season much, much better. We didn't come out nearly as banged up as we had in previous years in preseason. So there are some interesting lessons there in terms of how we buffer it. But I feel bad for these coaches because you give them two weeks to get their athletes ready. they got a bunch of freshmen coming in. They're like, we got to get them to merge. we got to get them to meld. What if they're not fit enough? And you're trying to train them into shape. Honestly, the best thing the athletes could do for themselves is arrive ready to go. Yeah. Right? Do your homework in the off season. champions are built in the offseason, mm-hmm. not in season. Build in the off season so when you show up, you are ready to go so that all the practices can be effective and we don't have to deal with the same kind of volume. And if we do have volume, you can handle it. Yeah. Right. And so those are the really critical considerations. And then the coach is doing a good job managing their players um, and working with the right people to pull that off. And, and we were able to keep lifting through the whole thing, um, doing some, you know, sprint and speed work and things like that. So, you know, it allows you to do some things you wouldn't be able to do otherwise.
1: You guys did you guys did a lot of in-season strength. I mean, I know you did like yeah. strength training, boy, both
2: boys and girls. So that was the hard part is the boys did, they were pretty inconsistent. And one of the challenges was Danny wanted to move the boys over to train with us like the girls were and athletics wouldn't let them. So we stuck with, which is training the girls at our facility. Um, and that was what Michelle took over and, uh, and we had great success. They would get, it was one day a week. So what we did is we would do one day in the weight room and then we did another day on the field right? So the day on the field was much more power and speed based. So there was a lot more plyometric work and stuff. Um, and then depending on the starters and reserves, uh, would change what we did for the resistance training, you know, in terms of the strength work that we would do, you know, in the, in the actual center, uh, because it really depended on what their load had been throughout the week and where we needed to manage them and what movement patterns we needed. But still we made sure that, you know, even the starters lifted heavy, but their volume was much lower. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And that's all it was, but but we kept them strong, you know, and we were able to maintain vertical jump through most of the season. Uh, and I would say, if there was anywhere, I feel like we probably made the biggest impact over those years. It was in power, um, and what, because when we first started working with the team, you know, we did did VOT max, did body composition, did vertical jumps. We're looking at all these metrics, and we realized where they're most deficient or where I would like to see the most improvement was really on the power side. Um, that was an opportunity to bring that up. And so when we started working with them and again, some of it then goes to recruitment because as your team's doing better, you recruit better athletes and stuff like that too. So there's, there's a, there's a double edged, you know, um, uh, part to this, but it was interesting because I think we had two players who had over a 20 inch vert when we started working with them. Uh, by the time we were done, there were two players who didn't have over a 20 inch vert. Um, so, you know, I think one year we made, I think in team average, and we had some players went up by you know, three, four three, four, five five inches in terms of vert, but it's just, they never really focused on power development. They just played soccer, you know, yeah. and you know, there's still sort of this weird stigma about weight training and soccer where they think it's going to make them slow and stuff like that. I'm like, uh, we would beg to differ because we've even got the data for 40 times showing how much faster it made them. No. So sorry, it doesn't fly.
1: I mean, it's crazy because. I'm in an area where, I mean, I'm outside of DC and like soccer is like, it's like crazy over
2: here. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Oh, I grew up in Northern Virginia. I know. Trust me.
1: Yeah. So, um, it's just mind blowing the, the, you know, trying to get kids to understand that like just come, I don't even care if you come once a week, like even if it's in the off season, like don't just only play soccer all summer long. It's not, it's actually not going to help you in so the long run.
2: I've got um, one of my best friends from high school. His son is a great little player in the uh, DC area. And um, he was dealing with some knee problems right before COVID. And it was basically bottom line is, He was just playing so damn much. These kids are growing at that time. He was playing up a couple divisions because of his skill. But, you know, he was falling apart. So ironically, COVID did him more good than anybody else because what happened is it hit the pause on the season and he was able to just do all physical therapy for the last few months. And so now his knees are finally starting to feel better. But it was one of those things where, you know, it's hard. The way we have these seasons structured sometimes, it always worries me because I'm like, when are they supposed to get better physically? Yeah, right. Because, you know, it, it's interesting when you got when you're working with a pro team or a college team, you have a set off season where you can try to focus on where the deficiencies are the biggest ones, right? And I always say, you can't fix everything at one time. So one of the things we try to do is always focus on the, the big picture first, right? Like, where's, where's the thing we can make the biggest impact on or the factor that's holding them back the most, right? Mm-hmm. Like, where can that's what we're going to address first. And we're gonna focus on that then we can build from there. But with some of these these youth programs and stuff, I don't know when you ever fully do that. So you have to have an in-season weight training program where you actually expect them to get stronger and you're going to have to trade some games and stuff like that to allow them to kind of train through certain things in order to do this. But we're doing a disservice if we don't find a way to manipulate that because otherwise, by the time we get them at the college level or if they go the pro route or whatever, they're broken you know, and and we don't want to do that. We want them to come in and ready to play and to continue to progress.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's the biggest challenge, you know, I have with a lot of these kids is I, you know, they want to play, they want to do more, but I'm like, yo, it's not all about doing more. It's literally like, like some of these kids want to do like two three sessions a day i'm like I no no yes. please exactly right. yeah. I beg you yeah. like you're literally not going to be able to play in like 3 months if you keep doing yeah. two three sessions a day week by week, by week. it's crazy um and I, and again it's the mentality that keeps that's always in this country it's like you know always want to one up like your friend sure. or this or that i mean i, I understand that but like you know I played at D1, believe yep. me, like. Where'd you play? I, I played at Ohio State.
2: Oh, did you really? I didn't know that. Fantastic. Okay,
1: cool. And, and the thing is, it's like, I just worked hard. Yeah. Two, three hours a day and I'm good. Like, I put in the work, like, I put in the work on my own, like, you, you know, and these kids get the wrong mentality. Then you have coaches here that, like, especially in this area, that, like, yep. that, like rob kids. Yeah. <laughs> And it's, it's unfortunate.
2: It is, you know, there's a, there's another side to this too. So you've got the kid that wants to work too much. I can deal with, because you can find a way to dial them back in some cases and, and work on the quality. What drives me nuts is the number of players that I've come across that have no work ethic, (laughs) right? Where they don't put in the off season work. They expect somehow in season, they'll pull it all together. Um, And I've seen some incredibly athletically gifted players that never got to the next level because they didn't put in the work. Yeah. It was not a priority for them. I've noticed what's interesting, there's been a weird trend. And if you played at Ohio State, you will be able to appreciate this because you guys actually had really started to build a program there. And, and there, was, there was an expectation that goes into playing in the Big Ten and stuff like that. Same thing with ACC. And, but it's interesting because when you start to look at at how they sort of perceive this, I'm finding there's a, um, an increasing number of college athletes. I've seen this on the women's side in particular who their goal is not necessarily to win a championship. Their goal is to play college soccer. And there's a huge difference. And so they're happy to have that jersey, right, that says Rutgers or South Carolina, whatever it is. You want those players. And, and, you know, I would say this from a recruiting standpoint. If I was a coach, one of the first questions I would ask players, what do you want to do? Like, what, what, what do you want to accomplish? Because if the first answer is I want to play for Ohio State or I want to play for Rutgers or I want to play for South Carolina, I'd be like, ooh, that's not what I want the first answer to be. I want the first answer to be I want to win. Right, like I want to win. I want to win a title. I want to, you know, go to the best program possible. Like because then you can work in that context. But I just because then that's going to drive them every day when you're not watching, right? And there's that weird black hole in college soccer where once they're sort of away from you for the summer, if they can't be supervised, and it's sort of the the Cara or Vera hours, depending on you know where they're able to be, you you've got to be able to count on them doing the work when you're not watching, you know. And the ones that are going to do it are the ones that really want to win not just the ones that want to play college soccer yeah you know that's the difference
1: yeah no no I I totally get it I totally agree with you on that because you know I have one kid that I've been training for like two years honestly never thought he was gonna like never thought he was gonna play college like the thought was like not even skinny kid like comes to me two years ago I mean Sean I mean like literally this kid like if I told him like what to do, he would listen and it's crazy. Cause now he's playing. Yeah. Granted it's D three, but like, he's like, honestly, like I never thought it would get me able to play. Like you inspired me. Like it's kind of, it's cool, but it's just like, he puts in the work like week That's after, week, after yeah. week. And, and like, you, you're like, you, you like, look at this kid and you're like, damn, I wish I had like hundreds of these kids. Yeah. <laughs> Cause you know, it's, it's great to see, you know, certain kids that like, do the work with soccer. Do the work with, you know, getting stronger physically, mentally, like all those things. Because in in combination, you're gonna be able to like wh- have a well-rounded athlete versus a kid that just like it. soccer all day long, like two three hours a day, and then like think that's that's it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting um, that you make that point because I, I I never really thought about that because a lot of kids say that. It's like, oh, I'm going to go here. But it's like, okay, when you go there, what are you going to do? And What
2: do you want to accomplish?
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. And it was interesting sort of being around that UVA um, uh, period is the expectation there was national titles.
3: Yeah.
2: The expectation wasn't just to play. The expectation was to win the whole damn thing, right? I mean, that's just the way, you know, in any given year since then, if the team didn't win the national title, it was a waste of a year. You know, like you've literally got that mentality where it's like, Oh, what what the hell we we play for titles around here. We don't play for just to win some games. Yeah. And so, you know, it, and it builds an expectation and you got to have the right players that come into that. You know, I've been fortunate not only to have been surrounded some players uh, throughout my life in, in terms of playing with them, but also some of the players I've gotten to work with as a sports scientist and, and things like Casey Murphy who played for Rutgers goalkeeper, who's playing for, um, uh, OL rain now. Um, you know, she played over in France for a year after she finished up. She's in our national pool. She's probably one of the top three, four keepers. Um, her work ethic is phenomenal, right? We had to, we had to like save Casey from Casey sometimes where I was like, okay, you've done enough, right? Like, that's good. But she would put in the weight training work. She would do the stuff that was necessary. Um, you know, we've had players that just had that mentality where they would bring it every day and they would expect more of their teammates and, and would demand more of them. And, and those are the ones I love being around and I have some of the fondest memories of, you know, that, that just uh, you appreciate what they're willing to do to prepare. Them. So I've been around some players that on the field would run through a brick wall, but did not do the work in the offseason because if they didn't like weight training, they would just run. Well, now you're back and you're not ready. So you're banged up during the season. You'll play your ass off on the field and you'll throw yourself in the middle of anything and, you know, do whatever it takes to win. But how much better would you be if you, if you did the professional thing, right? Where you, you treat your body the right way and you do the stuff that's not as fun for you to do, that's going to take for you to succeed. And, and I think that's where sort of what we do from a science standpoint, why I do like that part of it is we can give them metrics. To be able to gauge how they're doing, yeah. right, and, and to be able to try to optimize the talent they do have, I'm not changing your genetics, but let's see what we can do to maximize it through nutrition, through training, through sleep. You know, all the factors that you might easily ignore; those are the little things that, even if they give you one or two percent improvements here or there, those add up. Yeah, you know, and, and if it can keep you up, the best avail- the best ability of an athlete is their availability. Yeah, right. So if, if I can keep you healthy, you know, we're part of the way there.
1: Yeah, yeah, know. that's absolutely right. I mean. You, you you wonder it's great uh it's it's interesting it is interesting um because we do like i have a facility um there's a bunch of girls that come from this yep. every once in a while and you just see the difference like the girls that are there it's just you know they have all probably played I'm pretty sure every single one has played d1 um you know every day putting in yep. the work mentality. It's a, it's a mentality thing. And you know, <clears throat> sometimes some kids get it easy to get to where they, where yes. they get. Um, and then when they hit that roadblock, they don't find know, too. That it's like, Oh, yeah. shit, like, what am I supposed to do now? Exactly. But, hey, that's fine. Like you just got to work your way around it. Um, cause I mean, it happens to everybody at some point, you're not going to like, there's no linear progression to success. You know, There's gonna be some twists and turns every once in a while.
2: Exactly, and I would say from a sports psychology standpoint, the thing I always say, that, I, and I'm very grateful to have that background in my training as well, because it, it sort of helps you understand the athlete mentality in terms of why they do or don't do certain things. But the reality is, it tells me nothing about a person when things are going well. Mm-hmm. It's easy to be positive when things are going your way where I find out about a person is how they respond when things don't go well. And that will happen at some point. How do you respond? What's your resiliency? Like, how do you handle that? And do you control the controllables, right? And training is part of those controllables, right? Like what you do to ready yourself, controlling your sleep, your diet, all these factors. And so it's always interesting to watch how they respond in that situation because that will tell you a lot about what they're going to do when things really get tough. You know, and and that's, you know, it's a rare trait. And, uh, and I do think it is something that coaches can really work on with their athletes is, is how to be, you know, mentally strong and mentally resilient in order to be able to bounce back from those things, you know, and, and I've seen some players that do that exceptionally well, that really achieve things at the next level that, um, maybe physically you're like, "Eh, I, I wouldn't have put you in the top 10%, but mentally you are, and you find a way to do this. Like that's, that's impressive to me at the same time.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's the same with like de- developmentally like physically. Like some kids yep. get tall fast and you know sometimes those kids like when they get older, the other kid, you know, right. either grows a little bit more and and those are the kids that I feel sometimes honestly, I feel sorry for them because they they grow fast and they're like, "Oh, I'm big, strong. I'm I'm a lot better than this kid. I'm going to make it." And then, you know, last two years of high school or whatever. And they, the other kid sneaks right. in and they realize like, damn, like I'm not being looked at by, you know, whoever, whatever college. And
3: yeah.
1: and then they, and then they like think it's, it's over, but it's really not. It's like, okay. Like you said, like, how, how are you going to like figure out a way to get around it? How are you, what are you going to do? That's right. Um, yeah.
2: Sometimes hard, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Yeah. And smart work beats all the above, right? So if you put all the pieces together, um, you know, you, you need to work hard and you need to work smart. And I think the reality with, with some of these kids, when they get to that point and they get surpassed in something or they never learn how to work, you know, I think one of the, one of the, one of the toughest groups to work with is the ones that succeed in spite of themselves, where, mm-hmm. you know, they're basically doing all the rest of it. And they look at you like, well, why should I have to do this? Look at what I'm accomplishing without it. And I always go, yeah, imagine how good you could be. Like you could be untouchable. That's ridiculous. Like you're doing all the wrong stuff, and yeah, it'll work for a while, but will it work always? You know, and at some point, it catches up. Depends on how long you want your career to be. You know, and I've been fortunate with some of the pro athletes I've I've worked with. You know, a lot of them. It's funny. Some of the best questions and best uh, adherence comes from those that are later in their career because they're simply looking at you, going, "How do I get a few more years out of this? Like I don't, I don't want to be done." And then you're looking at you, like, man. Now think back if, you, if, you, if the twenty if the twenty one year old version of you asked that same question, what could you have done? Like, oh my God, you know. And so it's interesting to watch, but they're they're just great to work with because of that mentality they have to try to take better care of themselves. And what I've noticed is at the professional level, it starts to wear off on the younger players. Like they start to notice some of those um, habits a little bit more in a good way, and you know, when they listen. Some always know better and. They don't need to listen to anybody, um, you know, but the ones that really pay attention and take care of themselves, I think that's really where the, the goldmine is. And um, it's kind of the fun part for me as a scientist, getting to see how our research then translates to the field to how do we make you better and how does what we've learned in the lab or in the field with certain measurements help you excel at this next level, you know, in terms of bridging that gap. And I think that's a pretty cool opportunity.
1: What are you what are you doing? Uh is there anything you're particularly doing right now? Um, Yeah,
2: well we're pretty slow (laughs) right now because of COVID. Um, but we we've actually I know you just
1: got the recent paper on nutrient timing. Like
2: Yep, so that actually took off really well. And that's a paper I've been we've had a few different papers on nutrient timing. This was the one I've always really wanted to write, but it was really getting at what the research is out there. There haven't been a lot of nutrient timing studies, but the reality is when it comes to timing, it'll never replace the big picture, right? So if you're not eating enough right? And, and, and you're not fueling appropriately. You can time the crap out of it. You're still deficient. So the reality is if you're taking in enough protein in a day, if you're filling the gaps with the carbohydrate you're you're doing what you need to do, now timing becomes important because it's that little difference before and after training and even during training or before you go to sleep, right? So there's multiple opportunities throughout the day to feed the system to try to maintain muscle growth, muscle repair, you know, whatever it is. So that's been huge. We do a lot of supplement research. We have a study that we're doing right now with uh, military and law enforcement. And so we're looking at caffeine and caffeine derivatives. So particularly t and dynamine, which are two, uh, dynamine acts faster than caffeine. Tea has a little more long acting effect. Um, we did some work in soccer players with that actually. That was one of our publications a couple years ago. Well, we've now transitioned that to military and law enforcement. And we're actually looking at how that impacts um, physical reaction time as well as uh, target acquisition and accuracy in a shooting drill um, following a mentally fatiguing task. So we have them do like this half hour of like mind numbing reaction time stuff where you have to pay attention. And then, then we do reaction time for physical movement And then being able to control yourself and fire uh, a firearm with accuracy and with speed for target acquisition. So we're looking at whether or not the different supplements help in the timing of that. Because they did help with the performance in the soccer players uh, for runtime to exhaustion. Oh, really? Yeah.
1: So those like caffeine. They're not... I mean, I'm assuming there's some type of pill or yes, that-
2: exactly. Yeah. So it's all, it's double blind. So we don't know what's in, you know, any of the conditions oh. per se, but um, but with the soccer stuff, that was actually pretty cool because we actually had some pro players in there. We had a lot of division one athlete, so pretty high caliber. And we saw, I believe it was about a 38% improvement in runtime to exhaustion uh, with the caffeine plus tea cream supplement, which was pretty remarkable. So what we did, so it's actually kind of one of our what's, most fun.
1: What, what's the other one? Caffeine and what?
2: Tecrine. T E A C R I N E. Not the
1: same as. I mean, I'm assuming it's not, not the same,
2: same as... No, not the same as creatine. no. So tea cream is basically, it's a caffeine derivative, but it doesn't look like you habituate to it. And it doesn't have the same spike and drop-off. So it doesn't have quite the same degree of stimulant effect, but it's more long-lasting from some of the studies that have been done on it. Um, but it was cool. What we actually did as part of the original study is we developed a treadmill protocol to simulate a soccer game. So we took all of our GPS data that we've accumulated And we basically took all the speed zones and distances and developed an interval program for the treadmill that mimicked the speeds and distances for a soccer match. And so we had them actually play a 90-minute match on the treadmill. So they ran the full thing. And then we took them to a percentage of their maximum. And so we did halftime and we did reaction time and stuff during halftime. And then we did reaction time right at the end of the game. And then we put them back on the treadmill like we were going to overtime. And we had a run to exhaustion on that. And we saw about a 38% improvement in runtime to exhaustion with the caffeine and teocrine after running a 90 minute match. So now, you know, that amounts to maybe a couple minutes, but if you think about an overtime match in college soccer, if <laughs> you can run one or two more minutes at your, ma- at your near maximum, you're winning some games. Yeah. So, and I will say, so to that point, one of my favorite stats working with Rutgers women's soccer of all of them, and they did some amazing stuff a couple years ago. We set an NCAA record for overtime games. We played eleven overtime games. We lost exactly zero of them. Wow!
1: So yeah. you give these were these girls allowed to have that supplement or?
2: They were in the off season. Like, so it was as part of a study. So we never gave them this in season or anything. We never gave it to them. There was just only some of them that signed up for the study. But like I said, we had pro we had college from multiple colleges and stuff like that. So it wasn't just Rutgers athletes, but, um, but athletes, college athletes can take caffeine, right? Like they're allowed to take caffeine. It's a, it's a restricted substance. You can't go over a certain amount, but it's like, it would take quite a bit to test positive for that. Um, but anyway, you can't give it to them, but if like a player wanted to take a Red Bull or drink a coffee or take a caffeine pill, like they can, um, you know, and our research would suggest that there's a, there's a benefit to it. Um, you know, but again, no, we didn't give them anything. It was just in the context of the study, which was completely separate from them playing soccer.
1: That's sweet. That's cool. I mean, so, and that, that's what you guys are working on right now with the law enforcement.
2: Yeah, so we're doing that one. We've got a couple things going. We had a beach volleyball study going that got shut down because of COVID, but we at least collected enough data that we had some really cool, uh, like, movement, like, uh, training load data from them and games because the beach volleyball team here at South Carolina is exceptional. They're a top 20 team. Um, And then we're getting ready to start with some data collection with the teams here and help them with their return to play. and try to you know provide some testing resources for them and some monitoring and stuff like that. Uh, and then we still got a ton of manuscripts working on a lot of soccer data still. We've got a pretty cool paper looking at oral contraceptive use and its impact on biomarkers that'll be uh, that we're submitting for publication here pretty soon. Uh, that one of my doctoral students was working on. And, so with that uh, are you talking about like birth control? Yep, exactly. Yep. And so we have some really interesting data in terms of how you respond differently with that. Um, so yeah, we're looking forward to some of the stuff that we have coming out, and uh, some of the stuff we've had come out. We've had a lot of soccer papers come out in the last couple of years, and a lot more coming out. We still have just so much data and, and analysis that we've got from so many seasons with the team.
1: Is the nutrition stuff, the supplement stuff, with the same with the ISSN? Like, do you guys work together, or is this totally separate?
2: It, it's separate in the sense. That, so ISSN is an academic organization, right? So it's same as like NSCA or ACSM. So it's not necessarily that they sponsor studies per se, but you know, it's, it's researchers and practitioners that are all together, you know, from that standpoint. So this is my last year as president. It was technically supposed to end in June, but because we didn't have the conference and pushed it back, it'll end in September. Um, but anyway, but ISSN, we've got a lot of people that do what we do you know, in terms of looking yeah. at supplements and protein and all that stuff. And, uh, and I've made some great connections because of ISSN. So we're all interested in a lot of the same stuff and, you know, pursuing the research side of that. Um, but, yeah, that's been a great organization to be a part of. It's easy to get involved with. It's a good group of people. Uh, obviously, I love NSCA as well. Um, you know, that's sort of the, the organization I more grew up with between them yep. and ACSM. Um, but ISSN has been, been fantastic on the sport nutrition side of things. And, you know, it's very progressive and I think gives good resources for athletes, especially with a lot of the position stands we've had come out now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, um, uh, I, what's his name? Antonio. Joey Antonio. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know. I met him at the national NCAA okay. national and yep. I realized he went to AU <laughs> Yeah. Like back in the day. It was kind of cause I went to AU. Okay. Um, for my undergrad, well, I finished my, so I went to okay. Ohio State, yep. didn't really care for the coach, coaching yeah, staff. understood. And at that time, the guy, I, uh, assistant coach was cool, yep. head coach. Uh, and Not so much. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I just transferred and left, um, went to AU. And then okay. now I'm at, about, I'm actually about to start my PhD in. Uh, Are you
2: really? Yeah.
1: In, We're at. Rocky Mountain University Health Professor.
3: Okay.
2: Cool. Good sports,
1: for you. Sports performance track. Or yep. uh, I think it's human performance, whatever.
2: I think it is human performance. Actually, so one of my former classmates that I did my master's with is doing that, Ken Urukawa. Uh So he's at Rocky Mountain and another soccer guy. So if you run across him, he played at Butler.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. So I think I'm, I'm starting in like September or so. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's going to be interesting. I did That's my awesome. undergrad. I mean, my master's there. Um, and my paper was on, like, I, w- I was big on ACL, like I've torn okay. mine, so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, it's pretty interesting. <laughs> so yeah, man, it, uh, a lot of good information on this. Um, appreciate the taking the time out to.
2: Oh, absolutely. I think it's great that you do this stuff.
1: Yeah. I mean, actually, I wanted to say to you, I'm actually about to, well, I submitted all the information and we're probably in September um we're doing a like soccer specific um uh conference virtual conference with Oh really? Yeah. Yeah, so I cool. <laughs> it, behind behind the scenes I'm over here trying to put it yeah. together yeah. with uh, Eric McMahon. Yep. Um I worked with
2: Eric when I was with the Rangers. That's how we go back.
1: yeah yeah. so he's he's like big on soccer i was like it was kind of crazy he came out of nowhere he's like oh man i want to do this it's awesome huge
2: huge, uh, that's a good guy man eric's a good guy he's a smart guy love being around him
1: yeah so um me we we kind of put a few people together from like actually around the world i got a guy um guy from like sparta Prague. okay yeah i mean it's just like a small i mean just the first one i mean this i'm hoping this becomes more and more as we go um kind of put if it you together.
2: don't have everybody yet I would recommend you reach out to Mark Russell in the UK if you haven't already. Mark is fantastic as well.
1: Yeah I, I have like I have six people that okay are, cool that are down. Um so that's great. September 8th, I forget the exact date. September 8th, well you'll see it it'll come okay. up things. But yeah, I mean it's gonna be it'll be cool. Um hopefully we can get uh people from around the world now because yeah. <laughs> it's virtual. That's cool. Um, yeah. So it's gonna be a cool thing. Um you Know and of course, like you, you kind of influenced me to do it, <laughs> to be honest with you. Cool, okay, uh, so I appreciate that. And um, yeah, again, we can maybe have another conversation later on. About- Absolutely, I,
2: I can talk soccer and science any day. This is oh, great. Right. Well, I'm all about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, appreciate is, it. I, I'm, luck- I'm lucky to do what I do, man. That's all I know, and uh, it's you know. I'm very passionate about this stuff. I just think yeah. it's like a great area. Um, you know, it gives us an opportunity to stay involved in the stuff we yeah. love, yeah. you know, and, and that's the thing is at some point my playing career was going to end. I, I honestly couldn't have thought of a better way to keep going with this.
1: Did you? You didn't want to play. Well, there was not much of a pro league back then, but like,
2: that was the problem. And, you know, and especially, I mean, I'm not particularly large, you know, in terms of height and stuff like that. And it was just, it was one of those things, whereas the MLS was really just starting up at that time. Yeah. Um, and you kind of look at the opportunities and where you're going next. And ultimately, um, you know, I made the decision to go more of the strength and conditioning mm-hmm. coach route for a year and then on to grad school mm-hmm. and sort of move on with life. Um, yeah. I've been lucky to be able to stay involved right like i mean I, I wouldn't have seen the things i got to do with u s soccer the things I've gotten to do you know with Rutgers, and hopefully stuff we'll start doing here at south carolina like i i, I can't i can't complain no. you know like, I've, I've been lucky to no. be able to be able to do those things and the yeah. only thing i re- the only thing I regret at Rutgers is I really Really wanted to win a national title with those girls before we left. They 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 deserved it. We got so close the year of the Final Four. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had some of the players come through the that we could. We just it just didn't happen, and that was probably the one thing that I felt. I felt like I had done pretty much everything else I could do there at the time, but that was the one thing that I wish we had been able to do before I left. Um, you know, and, and I will be the loudest one cheering for them when they finally do win it one year, uh, because I know what they put into it. How's the girls' team at South Carolina? I know them, they're phenomenal. They are so good, and their coaches here are great. We're starting to do a little bit more with them. One of their players actually interned with us in the lab in the in, in the early part of spring. So you know, she's uh, Bianca. She's great, but no, they were a top eight team last year. Yeah, so they're good. They're they're really good. They should have made it farther in NCAA's. They got a tough draw Um, want to get knocked out a bit early, but I honestly thought watching how they played last year, I was thinking they were an elite eight or final four team. Um, So they've done again, I'm lucky to be around another program down here. That's done a tremendous job of putting some stuff together, but uh, you know, um, you know, Shelly and her husband are just, just class acts down here as well. It's really funny. They recruit a lot of New Jersey kids down here. So a lot of the girls that we worked with at the youth level that Michelle, um, did strength conditioning with, with PDA actually play here. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's kind of funny, but yeah, it's small world. I mean, you and I, you and I both know the soccer world's not that big. Like you'll run across (laughs) people that all know each other and stuff. Yeah. It's it's small world. It's crazy.
1: It is. It's cool. Well, Sean, uh, kind of, uh, let people know where they can connect with you. Um,
2: and then, Game. Yep. So honestly, easiest social media wise, uh, both Instagram and, and I'm probably more professionally active on Twitter. It's just at Sean Arnt, S-H-A-W-N-A-R-E-N-T. Uh, that's for both Instagram and Twitter. And then you can find us on Facebook. We've got a, we've got a lab page uh, for the U of S-C Sports Science Lab on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook as well. Um, feel free to shoot me an email. Uh, you can look me up on the South Carolina site. I'm the department chair, no, so no, you can find no. me
1: show notes
3: and stuff
2: like that so it's all good but yeah just uh happy to happy to always talk soccer and science man it's always good i appreciate
1: it shauna thank you appreciate
2: that no problem julian take care have a good day you too Bye. -bye.
1: thank you guys for listening today uh we appreciate the the listen um and we hope that you provided a review um there are a number other great uh episodes prior to this one so please give those a listen um and we will see you guys on the next one. Thanks.
0: Thanks for listening to Train to Perform with Julian Sissman. Learn how you can work with Julian in a personal training session, either online or in person at prepareforperformance.com and follow on social media for more tips on training, fitness, and sports performance on Twitter at jsissman underscore PFP and Instagram at prepareforperformance.